We'll start with this verse right here in Psalms 84:11 today, thinking of God's favor this morning. For the Lord is good, is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. What a great little verse there. It's a comforting and encouraging verse, at least for us who, those of us who are walking with God who know Christ as our Savior. But it does lend us to a deeper question that we will kind of tackle this morning. What does God's favor look like? You ever ask that question? Like we talk about God's favor and we have God's favor as believers we would say, but what does God's favor actually look like in our life? Um, Herschel York, I don't even know who this guy is, but uh, I found this quote of his, I think it comes from a sermon entitled The Dark Side of Grace, just found this quote and I thought it was really powerful this morning. Here's what he says. In Genesis 36, you'll find he's comparing in this, in this quote here, in this little illustration he came up with, um, Jacob and Esau from the Old Testament. He says, in Genesis 36, you will find nothing but a list of the descendants of Esau, their names, their wives, their children, their flocks, their herds, there were so many of them that they had to leave Canaan, cross the Jordan, and go to their own country called Edom, which is another name for Esau. In the ancient Near East, a man's wealth was measured in three ways, by the number of his children, his flocks, and herds, and the land he possessed. Esau had all three of those things in spades. By any standard, Genesis 36 tells us that he was one of the wealthiest men who ever lived. He even had his own country. But remember what God says next about Esau. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And it doesn't mean that he really hated Esau, but that's another discussion. But there were things about Esau he did not like, approve of. And he makes this point, this Herschel York does, that you had best not mistake material blessing for spiritual blessing. He goes on then and speaks of, uh, of, of uh, Jacob. He says, in distinction to Esau, there's Jacob, God's favored one. What did Jacob get? He got a tent. He lived his entire life in a tent with or like his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. He never had a house. They lived nomadic lives, always wandering around. Yet we live in an age of Christianity where we value Esau more than Jacob. We interpret the goodness of God more by the blessing of Esau than by the favor God bestowed on Jacob. If Esau lived today, we would put him on TV. He would sit there on the couch and we would ask him, tell us how God has blessed you and how we can have it as well. Jacob wouldn't be invited to go anywhere. No one, nobody would want to hear his story. Can you imagine him stopping by a television studio? And if you know Jacob's life, he might be good on reality TV maybe, you know, he had a pretty hard life at times, but uh, he did have a, a hard life. And that's not to say that Jacob didn't have a lot of kids and didn't have a lot of wealth. He did in, in his own right. But compared to Esau, Esau had so much more of that, it seems, and it appears. And yet, Jacob had the favor of God on his life. And I found this quote really as, the, as I wrapped up my message and I thought, wow, that is really from God because it'll help us kind of see what we're looking at today. We're in week three of this series, right? We're in week three of this series, the traditional Christmas story. And uh, today, we want to think about the, the two views of God's favor, really? When you, when you think about God's favor, we talked about the two sides of God's silence and the two sides of waiting, and now how about the two views of God's favor? And there's this one view, it's the world's view. It's, uh, you, you'll get it at most of your major megachurches today, unfortunately. A lot of churches preach this. Uh, it's very much a part of what you hear from Joel Osteen every week on TV. Physical health and material wealth is God's favor in your life. It just is. Um, 
and it's sad. I, I've heard it, it said before that much of what is preached in the American church would never preach overseas. You know, you go over there, like, like you know, you hear all the time, let, you know, you're supposed to believe in yourself and you'll get that promotion, right? And you're going to get that inheritance and you're going to get a good doctor's report and those are things that are just guaranteed because God has favor on you and that's what favor looks like. And the reality is, you, you tell that to somebody in a third world country who's a martyr for their faith, you're going to get your promotion. <laughs> yeah, they are, to heaven. But I mean, that's not, much of what is preached overseas wouldn't sell. You talk about, you know, having material wealth and you go to a third world country where they struggle to get clean water and it's like, preach a message like that over there. Do they not have God's favor? Well, of course, we would disagree with that. And so the other side is spiritual wisdom and heaven, heavenly blessings. And that's, that's how we need to understand the favor of God in our life. Today, we're gonna look at Mary and Joseph and we're gonna see a common denominator kind of come up today in this original Christmas story. It's not the traditional Christmas story because sometimes our traditions are a little off and not necessarily true. Um, I've learned that over the years as, as a pastor is the more you study, it's like, well, that's not really the way that actually works out. Um, but we are talking about this idea when heaven and earth collide, right? Or this idea that the glory of heaven invaded the obscurity of earth. The extravagance of heaven comes down to the, to the, to the filth and the dust and the grime and the dirt of earth. It's, it's an amazing picture, really. The riches of heaven come down to the poverty of earth, we could say. And we see this common denominator in the story, like with Zechariah and Elizabeth in week one, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord and then we see in week two with Simeon and Anna like here's Simeon right Simeon this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel and Anna his counterpart over there she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day and you see something about these characters in the Christmas story that they have a godly character that they they have a deep and abiding faith that they are righteous sold out for the Lord and we'll see that today with Mary and Joseph. We'll see much of the same. In Mary and Joseph's life, primarily looking at Mary today, excuse me, but also a nod over to Joseph as well. And we're gonna talk today about when God does show his favor. When God broke his silence, when God keeps his promise, and today when God shows his favor. And that's exactly what he is going to do. And we know that is part of the story <clears throat> with Mary in particular. And while the modern church today wants to tell us what God's favor looks like, I think we're better off if we go to the scriptures, if we go to the people like Mary and, and Joseph, the people like Daniel, the, the, the people like Joseph of the Old Testament, some of those characters who had God's favor, and we can see what God's favor really looks like. Here's our big idea. God's, God shows me his favor, I just need to walk in it. God shows me his favor I just need to walk in it. And how does God show me his favor? What did God's favor look like in Mary's life? What did God's favor look like in Mary's life? Let's jump ahead here. A couple bonus slides in there. And we're gonna start in Luke 1, 26 today. And we're not gonna read all of this scripture in. I've weeded a lot of it out. But we're just gonna look at some of the high points here. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. What does God's favor look like in Mary's life? Well, here's the first snapshot we get. God's favor uh, called Mary to a life of service. Like, how about that? Like, God's favor was like a call to service. Like, come serve me. I've got a place for you in my story that was what God's favor looked like. Mary, you found favor with God, so I got a job for you. I got a mission for you. And we could say that of all those in the Christmas story because of the lives they lived, because of their character, because they were righteous and devout and faithful, God included them in the Christmas story. But think about what this looks like for Mary. Like her, her mission was an important mission. Like, who would argue with that, right? You're going to be the mother of the Messiah. You're going to be the mother of the Son of God. You're going to be the mother of the King whose kingdom has no end. Like, wow, that's an important mission. Are you up for it, Mary? And uh, he comes along and he calls Mary to this great mission. And there's this interesting juxtaposition uh, juxtaposition that arises because Mary, let me clear my throat here a minute. Mary is identified for us. She identifies herself as being of humble estate. Like we know that Mary and Joseph are kind of like not real wealthy. They're kind of impoverished. Kind of throws a monkey wrench in the whole God's favor looks like you'll be wealthy. Well, no, she had God's favor and they were kind of poor. But they were called to a great mission. And the beautiful thing of the story is that Jesus, who is the wealthiest of the wealthiest, right? He owns everything. He comes down and joins Mary and Joseph in their poverty, in their lowliness, and comes in humble estate as well to them. But it's an important mission. But look what else about this mission. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So this was an important mission, and it was also an an impossible mission. At least apart from God, this is an, an impossible mission. How can a virgin have a baby? And that is exactly what Mary is called to. And we talked before, right, in this series about the babies that come from those barren wombs and they're important children and it shows the power of God how much more the baby from this virgin womb. And can I just tell you that God's favor on your life, he calls you to a life of service and then he calls you sometimes to things that are impossible. We talked about this earlier in the series about praying those audacious prayers, but so often we pray things that just limit God's answer to what I can can do. And why am I praying? If I can do it, why am I praying? We need to look at our our lives, our families, at our church and say, okay, what does God want to, how does God want to use us? And what is it that we can't do apart from God? If we only do what we can do in our own strength, why are we here? We need to to say, we're going to give evidence that God is working in our midst. It's an apart from God. And then it was an, an impactful mission, right? This really impacted Mary's life in a powerful way. And, you know, sometimes this issue with Mary here and some of the things that are said here about Mary get falsely interpreted. Uh, Sometimes 
Mary gets erroneously maybe worshipped more than she should. There's this line here, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. That word greetings in the King James says hail. And uh, sometimes that leads to people, you know, maybe some think we should pray to Mary or, or we give a little too much esteem to Mary. But you know what greetings means there? It means greetings. It's the Greek word that actually is the word for rejoice. It's like rejoice, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And the, the root word of rejoice there is the word favor. The root word of that word greetings is the word favor. So, yeah, favor, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Rejoice, O favored one. Greetings, I am here to bring you good news of great joy. And so the reality is, though this was impactful to Mary, and it was impactful in the sense that, well, that's what it says in the King James, hail thou who art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And that gets overly translated sometimes into some false Mary worship maybe. But, but look at this right here. It was, it was an, an impactful mission of purpose and meaning and significance that she could find nowhere else. You gotta understand, there is a purpose and a meaning and significance you will find in Christ that you will find absolutely nowhere else. And the whole world's looking for that and they keep looking and keep searching and they're frustrated and yet, so many will not surrender and give God a chance with their life, right? And so today's big idea, God shows me his favor. I just need to walk in it. God's showing you his favor this morning. Just embrace it. Just join him on the journey and walk in it. Here's the second lesson. God's favor challenged Mary's faith. God's favor challenged Mary's faith. And I think this is really a profound thing to think about. And it sure seems like God's definition of favor is maybe a little different than the world's definition of favor. She's kind of poor. She's kind of humble, you know. But she's got a great calling on her life. And now God is going to challenge and God is going to build her faith. You know, it's interesting. The Bible tells us that Mary had faith. We were talking about this last week in Sunday school. This came up, and I've shared about this before. Well, I saw something this year I never saw before. Remember in week one, Zechariah, the angel came to Zechariah, and, and, and Zechariah didn't believe the angel. Well, how do I know this is true? I'm an old man. Well, then Mary comes along, and Mary has a question too. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And so the dilemma comes up. It's like, well, why does God take away Zechariah's ability to speak for nine months because he had a, a kind of a lapse of faith, and Mary gets a pass. Well, we, we know why, because look down here in verse 45. Mary goes to Elizabeth's house, and, and Elizabeth says this about Mary. The Bible says this about Mary. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So evidently, when it tells us Zachariah lacked faith, it tells us Mary didn't. She believed. And it could just be her question was simply, as I said before, a biological question, or it could have been a defense of her own purity, her own virginity. It's like, how can this be? Hey, I'm, I'm a virgin. This can't be. It could have been simple. I don't know what her question really entailed, but we see that at the heart of it all, God knew that Mary believed her. Pretty interesting compared to Zechariah. The greater point here, though, is that God, even as he shows his favor to Mary, he will test her resolve and he will grow her faith. And just think about what, what God is plunging Mary into. Think about what he's plunging her into. She is a young teenage girl. Maybe she's Destiny's age or Bella's age or Josie's age or Kaylee's age. I don't know. About that age. Maybe she's as old as, as uh, <clears throat> Ashley. But I don't think so. 13, 14, 15 probably is what they assume. And she's not married. She's betrothed to be married. But she's not married. Now she's pregnant. 
And she's going to get all kinds of dirty looks and all kinds of judgmental glances and people are going to assume all kinds of things because Mary is now pregnant. We know this is true, right? Over in John 8, remember John 8? There's this fascinating discussion Jesus has with the religious leaders. And as they're having this debate and as the religious leaders are losing the debate and losing the conversation, they pull out the scandal card and they say this. They said to him, Jesus, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. It's like stab you in the back. You're an illegitimate child. You know, your parents weren't even married when you were born. And you have to understand that in that culture, that was a very dark thing to have happen. In all of this, Jesus' call on Mary's life is no easy task, and he is testing her resolve, and he is growing her faith. Growing her faith. And yes, maybe he, she was the same age as Audrey. We've all got di- different ages in here, right? Mary was one of these ages of one of the young women in this church, and yeah. There's a lesson for all of us here when we are unjustly attacked, maybe even for our faith. Find your confidence in God and don't let people's lives or personal vendettas drag you down. Be strong in the Lord. But this reality of of being challenged in your faith and called to a mission that's challenging, and it's all over the Bible. Remember the story of Joseph? The Bible tells us that the Lord was with Joseph and that he he had favor from God and he was in a prison cell and uh, he was falsely accused of rape and he was sold by his brothers into slavery and he had the favor of God on him. Yeah. It's, how about Daniel and his three friends? You know, they're, they're teenagers and they, him and his three friends are ripped out of their homeland and taken from their families and dragged off to Babylon, right? And there they take a stand for the things of the Lord and refuse the king's meat. And it says this about, in the story of Daniel, it says this, really, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And here's Daniel, and all he's going through, and he has God's favor on his life. You can have God's favor on your life and be going through a really difficult time. And it's part of God's favor. He's growing your faith and testing your resolve. It's an amazing thing. Even Jesus teaches us this. Remember, Jesus starts his earthly ministry and the Father comes out. And what does the Father say? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. He's on the way to the cross. Like you can have God's favor and yes, you can be going through difficult, difficult, difficult times. Being under God's favor does not remove us from the hardships of life. It uses those hardships and challenges to grow our faith and to test our resolve exactly what he's doing in Mary's life. You know, Mary's story reminds me of the true story of five-year-old Olivia and her best friend Claire. They're, they were both participating in a nativity play at school. Claire was playing Mary, and Olivia was an angel. Before the show, a young boy was going around the dressing room repeating, I'm a sheep, what are you? Each child responded politely, including Olivia, who proudly declared that she was an angel. The boy then turned to Claire, still struggling into her costume with her mother's help, and repeated the question to her, I'm a sheep, what are you? Claire simply said, I'm Mary. Realizing he was face to face with a lead character, he felt the need to justify his own role. It's hard being a sheep, you know, he said with all the seriousness of a five-year-old actor with a big part. Claire's equally serious response was humorously profound. Yes, yes, Claire said innocently, but it's also hard being a virgin, you know. Yeah, and yes, it is, Mary. It was certainly hard. It was certainly hard playing your role in the Christmas story, but just remember the big idea 
that God shows me his favor. I just need to walk in it. Third expression here, the third uh, snapshot, I guess, of God's favor in her life. God's favor elevated Mary's expectations. I thought this was interesting because throughout the story you continually see what, what initially happens, the angel Gabriel comes and tells Mary this great exciting news and calls her to this mission and she's like, woo, she's excited and she's, she runs off, you know, and spends three months at her cousin Elizabeth's house and, and, and she's just filled with expectation. But let's look at her life from a 10,000 foot view and just see exactly what's going on in Mary's life. Like, she goes to Elizabeth's house, she walks in the door, remember what happens? She walks in the door of Elizabeth's house, and the baby in Elizabeth leaps for joy. And Elizabeth is like, woo, wow, <laughs> wow. And uh, so Mary had this bundle of joy in her. I thought about that. You know, that's, that's like a literal event that happens. Like, literally, she goes into the presence of of Elizabeth and causes Elizabeth great joy and the baby in her great joy. But I, I thought it's kind of like a metaphorical picture, right? That shouldn't the Jesus in me just bring joy to you? Like when I come into your presence, shouldn't I just bring the joy? And I understand it. We have, we have tough days, we have hard days, we have bad days. So we're not always gonna come with a smile on our face. But I'm saying all in all, in average, shouldn't I walk into your presence and just brighten your day? Shouldn't you brighten mine? And I thought for the next nine, for the next three months, you got, you got Mary and you got Elizabeth and they're, every night they're talking about their angel experiences and what's coming and they're just encouraging each other in the Lord and it's a tough time. It's going to be a tough time indeed. But what a great picture. And then Mary had a song of joy. If you know, if you read on down, we're not going to go read the whole thing. I'll, I'll give you a couple, a couple uh, stanzas here. She has this great song of faith called the Magnificat. And she just goes and pours out her heart of joy and her song of joy as what's coming. Here's what it says. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And, and just to think that she can say this as, as, as she's already probably weighing out, the, as I said, the looks of other people. Think about the accusatory looks, the judgmental glances, the insinuating comments, and how powerful it will be. I wonder, did Mary write this down for herself? Like God wrote it down in the Bible for us. Did she write it down? Did she have a, like a, a journal that she kept stuff in and she would look back over it when times got hard? Did she turn there at times and look in her journal and remember this and say, it's worth it, it's worth it, even though it's hard, even though I'm attacked, even though I'm, ridicule, even though I'm treated unfairly? And so she celebrates the season, she relishes in the moment, she rejoices in her calling. And the reality is what we need to learn to do is to worship our way through our challenges in life. Just worship your way through them. I've said that before. Find a great worship song, find a great scripture and just cling to it in those difficult times. Write out your own psalms. You can look back on, right? Hmm, Yeah. Right from the start, she needs to frame this as an honor and a joy. See, the, the thing is, you can be a servant for the Lord and, 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 and assume his calling, but you can do it like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to do this. Like it's a duty or it's an obligation or it's a joy. And for Mary, this, this is Mary's testimony. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so Mary is clearly ready to step into this willingly and joyfully to be the servant of the Lord.
And then we look down here. We get this next example, right? Remember then all the shepherds when they arrived at the manger scene that night? And Mary's sitting there and they come in and just, here's what it says. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And so here Mary meditated with joy. She just meditated on all that was unfolding around her. And just think that hours earlier she has given birth. She's laying there in that shepherd's tower. She's given birth. She's, it, it was painful. It was hard. I mean, I don't know what that's like, but the, most of the women do here, right? You know what it's like. It's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to give birth. Now she's resting. She's contemplating all, all the events. Then in come the shepherds. And we've learned the significance of the shepherds in recent years, right? That they're the priestly shepherds, that they're in the hills outside of Bethlehem, that there's this shepherd's tower, and that's exactly not by coincidence Mary and Joseph land because they're giving birth to the Lamb of God. And so there's this divine intervention and they're there and yet even Mary at that moment doesn't know all the details. She doesn't understand all the significance of what's happening here. But they come in and they recount their own story and just think about the angels coming in and they come in and so Zachariah had an angel and Mary had an angel and Joseph had an angel and now the shepherds had an angel and then the shepherds had a choir of angels and they're there telling their story and when they leave celebrating and praising God, Mary just sits there dumbfounded and meditates with great joy about what is happening. What is going on? And continually God just keeps elevating her expectations. And God will do that for you. His favor on your life, if you just walk in his favor, just trust him. He'll continually elevate your expectations. Because we're heading for glory, right? We're heading for glory. Who are we going to take with us? And how are we going to leave our mark on the way through this world? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And then we can fast forward six weeks to where we were last Sunday, right? Mary and Joseph come into the temple with baby Jesus and this old man with a promise comes and takes Jesus in his hands and prophetically and poetically speaks over Jesus' life. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Mary marveled with joy. She just was like, like it's like it just can't get any better. It's a step by step. It can't get any better. Like what, who am I holding in my hands? What has God called me to? What has God called me to? It's an amazing thing. You know, I imagine what she experienced as she looked at Jesus and the words of the famous song are fitting for us to ponder anew right here. Let's just walk through these words, right? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? The child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is the Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy was heaven's perfect lamb? And the sleeping child you're holding is the great, the great I am. Mary, did you know? Hmm. God's favor continually elevated her expectations and God just shows me his favor. I just need to walk in it. And then number four, God's favor met Mary's needs. God's favor met Mary's needs. And we see this 
if we give a nod over to Joseph, right? Because Mary's not going to go through this alone. Mary's going to go through this with Joseph. And we learn a little bit about Joseph, just one verse here over in Matthew 119. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And everything you need to know about Joseph is really in that one verse. He is. He is a just man. He is a, he is a man of great integrity. He is a man of righteousness. And we know that because he's going to divorce Mary. Why is he going to divorce Mary? Because he can't marry somebody. He knows this is wrong. And so he's going to divorce her. But even as he's going to divorce her, his heart is breaking. He's hurting inside. He has all kinds of questions. He can't believe that this is his Mary. He's going to divorce her quietly. Because he understands the Jewish law and he understands what could happen to her if he made this a public spectacle, if he drew her out in public, that she could be up for a stoning. So he resolves to divorce her quietly. Even in his hurt and his pain, he has compassion, he has empathy for Mary. What a great man of God. Like, I'm gonna do the right thing and I gotta divorce her. And they, they weren't married yet, but in that day to be betrothed, it was like you were married. You just hadn't consummated the relationship yet. And that went on for, I think, sometimes maybe a year. You'd be in that situation of being betrothed before it was official. So he's going to break off this marriage, but do it quietly. It's an amazing thing. And then, of course, what do you think happens to Joseph, right? He gets his own angel. Isn't God so good to send along exactly what we need to hear at just the right time and fill us in on the details? And the angel comes down and tells Mary, fills Joseph in on all the details, and then Joseph's like, oh, okay, fine. And he takes Mary's hand, and they're going to walk through this journey together. And what we see here is just the simple reality that God's favor met Mary's needs. Now, there's one last thing I want to show you about uh, how God showed favor to Mary. But before that, I want to deal with an intriguing question. In week one, we asked, why did God take Simeon's ability to speak for nine months? That's like an odd thing. And last week, it's like, why does God give a promise to a man and then have him turn old waiting on that promise? What's God doing in that? So what, what's God doing here with the young virgin girl? Why was God born of a virgin? What is so important about the virgin? Well, there's actually seven re- several reasons. And as I asked that question, I don't think I've really ever asked it. The reason I never asked it is because I know the answer. We all know the answer, right? I can tell you, why was Jesus born of a virgin? Well, he had to be. Why? Well, I think here's the, the reason. It's found in Romans 5.12, or at least this is the purported reason, right? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. I would love to walk through that. I don't have time today. But this is the concept of original sin and the idea is that the blood um, and the blood type in a, in a human is passed down through the man. And so the idea really is the sin nature comes through the man's blood so Jesus had to be born of a virgin. And um, I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just not as convinced that that's exactly the whole reason for the virgin birth and there's a lot you could look behind that and you could discuss this morning about uh, is there a verse that really says that sin passes through the bloodstream of a man Um, there's no verse that specifically says that so I'm not saying it's not true but I'm saying there are other reasons and I've never considered them before I'm going to consider them this morning like number two this miraculous birth proved that Jesus was the son of God We talked about this, right? He mentions this earlier when he says 
Elizabeth was barren and now she's having a baby. And they understood in Jewish history all these women throughout their history. We talked about it before, right? All the, the children that were born from barren wombs. Like the Bible says, mom was barren and she got old and then she had a baby. And so it proved the importance of that child in God's plan and it proved the power of God. Well, the point, I think all of those maybe subtly point us to the grandest work of God, the birth from a virgin womb. And so if the birth of a barren womb is pretty amazing, it's pretty spectacular, what about the birth of a virgin womb? And I think part of the reason for the virgin birth is just to say, this child is the Messiah. It's the Son of God. There is something incredibly special about Him. He is unlike anyone else. You realize, you realize there is no other Think of all the other false gods in the world, Muhammad and Buddha and all. You know there's no other God? There's even people that have come along and claimed to be Jesus, right? People all the time come along and they live in other parts of the world and they claim to be Jesus is coming. Nobody has ever claimed to be born of a virgin. Never. And so here is one who was born of a virgin and then we see that in his birth and then we see in his death, what? No one else raised themselves from the dead. So Jesus is is really a standout here. Number three, the virgin birth was necessary so Jesus could be truly God and truly man. This is interesting, right? Truly God and truly man. I found a quote here. Let me find that quote. Um, Mendel's Law of Genetics. Mendel. Johann Gregory Mendel, 1822 to 1884, is known as the father of genetics. Here's a quote from him. Every individual is the sum total of the genetic characteristics recessive or dominant in his or her parents. So in you, in every one of us, we have recessive and dominant characteristics. Some characteristics are recessive and they pass over a generation. Some are dominant, right? But the reality is, basically, this is how Adrian Rogers uh, uh, paraphrases this, all that was in your father or mother is in you. And so here's the point, that if Jesus was born of Mary and Joseph, two humans, he would be what? He would be fully human or truly human. And if God had bypassed Mary and, and brought Jesus into the world apart from Mary and just through divine nature, he would have been, been what? He would have been truly God. But because he comes from Mary and because he comes from the Holy Spirit, he's truly God and truly man. And that's really important because he can't die for us if he's not truly God and truly man. He has to be the man. He has to be the second Adam. He has to be the one that came and lived a righteous life and then could shed his blood for our sins. Can I just add something here, you know? Uh, I heard this this week, pretty powerful. Like, you may not understand the virgin birth, right? That's okay. You don't have to understand it to believe it. You, you can, there are all kinds of things. I, I think I heard a quote this week uh, from uh, uh, somebody named Havener one time. Said, I don't understand electricity, but I ain't sitting in the dark till I figure it out. So there's a lot of things we may not understand in life, but hey, we believe it. So I don't, you don't have to understand the virgin birth. I can't understand the virgin birth. The Bible says it's a mystery, the mystery of godliness. But I believe it. And I believe it was really important. And I believe, think about this, then Jesus then went through nine months in the womb and Jesus experienced your life and my life exactly 
every inch of our life. And I remember reading uh, a couple months back somewhere an article and it talked about the bonding between a mother and a child. We often think how a child bonds with his mother, but it talked in this article about how a mother bonds with her child, like how there's, there's just certain things that go on there that are just really amazing and that happened between Mary and Joseph. Think about the bonding that went on between her and Jesus, Mary and Joseph, Mary and Jesus. Think about what went on between Mary and Jesus, the bonding that went on because he came into this world. So fourth reason why is the virgin birth was the prophetic sign that he was the Messiah. Like this is probably the most biblical reason. This is the most explicit reason for the virgin birth in the Bible. It's found in Isaiah 7, 14. There's a whole story here I can't tell you. Suffice to say, God comes down and speaks to this king and he says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so the virgin birth is just a prophetic sign that he was the Messiah. No one else was ever born of a virgin other than Jesus. And when the virgin gave birth, the Messiah is here. Look at this next reason, number five. To let everyone know that his real father was God the father and not Joseph the man. I never really weighed out the significance of this. And last week in Sunday school, we were discussing this question a little bit. It, was, it came up. Somebody brought it up. We were discussing it. Um, we do a lot of great discussion, discussion down there, man. We come up with all kinds of things to... But I thought about that this week then. As I was looking through this, I saw this. It's like, yeah, here's the reason for the virgin birth. To show that his fa- real father was not Joseph. It was God. God the Father and not Joseph the man. In fact, it's really amazing. Look over, jump over to Isaiah 9, 6, right? Another word of prophecy from Isaiah. Listen to this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. To us a child is born. Jesus was born, not just born. He was given. He was a gift that was given to us from the Father. He was not born of Joseph. He was not born the way we're all born. He was given explicitly to us. And when we look at the virgin birth, we see that his truest father, his real father, was God the Father, and he is the Son of God. Wow. And then one last reason why. Number six. Mary is symbolic of what God wants to do in each one of us. He wants to be born in us. God wants to be born in you and he wants to be born in me and that's exactly what this whole story is symbolic of. Just know that this morning and know that God wants to pour his favor into your life this morning. He does. Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and um, just as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasures of his will. Look at this last verse. To the praise of the glory of his grace with which he favored us in the beloved. It's the exact same word used of Mary, O favored one. He favored us in the beloved. God wants to pour his favor into your life. He wants to be born in you. He wants you to know him as your Lord and Savior. One last reason then why God or how God showed his favor in Mary's life and this is a really powerful one, right? It's in Luke 
2.32 And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother Behold this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. We said this last week, right? The spear that pierced Jesus' side also pierced Mary's soul. Well, here's our very last reason. God's favor brought Mary pain. God's favor brought Mary pain. It just did. You you can't argue that point. Sometimes God's favor will bring us pain. But it's a pain that's worth it. There's a pain that can be worth it. Mary is an example for all of us that when God calls, we simply say yes and we leave the details to him. It's not like we say, well, yes, if, or yes, but. Note this about Mary. Mary said yes before she had all the details. Mary said yes before she had all the details. I think that is so powerful. Over there in Luke 138, over there in Luke 138, it says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. According to your word. And so the angel came and brought the word of God to her, but so also did Simeon with this prophecy. You're going to be pierced in your soul at some point. That's coming, Mary. So just know that. And know that Mary teaches us that sometimes God's favor and God's call can be painful. As we head into communion this morning, if you can catch the tension between, just see if you can catch the tension between the silent night that Jesus was born and the silent night that Jesus died. I wonder if you can see the pain on Mary's face there at the cross with the peaceful smile the night that Jesus was born. In fact, I wonder if Mary herself, as she watches Jesus be crucified, if she is not transported back to, the main, to that manger in the shepherd's tower. If the pieces do not begin to fall in place, if the words of Simeon ring through her own pierced soul. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pray. Father God, as we head into communion this morning, just stir our hearts towards you. Speak to us. And Lord, thank you for the testimony of Mary and the testimony of Joseph. And Lord, thank you for sending us your son, born of a virgin born to show us your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm